0: and listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources, because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Karen Foster about boardroom power plays. Before we start that discussion, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today. For me, that is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I acknowledge their continuing connection to land, to waters, and to culture. I know I have said this before, but I support the Uluru Statement from the Heart. I'll be voting yes in the referendum that is coming up later this year, and I encourage others in the Take On Board community to take the hand and take the offer, the very generous offer from First Nations people in this country to support them in the referendum that's coming up. Now, let me introduce Karen. Karen is on the boards of Western Primary Health Network and is the chair of the Let's Talk Foundation and the mayor, which in my head is basically the chair, of the Moyne Shire Council. She's a busy woman. She's a former chair of Leadership Great South Coast and Moyne Health Services and a former board member of Brophy Family and Youth Services, Karangamah Regional Library Corporation, Regional Leadership Australia and the GAICD Regional Advisory Group Great South Coast. A former journalist, Karen went to the, inverted commas, you can't see me doing this, but went to the dark side of PR and marketing in the late 2000s. She established a communications consultancy, O2 Media, in 2007. Karen also works for -for not-for-profit boards in strategic and business planning. And during COVID, she retrained as a life coach and has combined these skill sets to offer leadership coaching for women. Karen is a mum to two inspiring young adult children and lives in Coastal Port Ferry with her lawyer husband, Gary, two dogs and a handful of chooks. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Karen. Thank Karen. you. It's great to be here, Helia. Yeah. So, Karen, I'm really keen on exploring boardroom power plays, but as always, before we go there, let's dig a little bit deeper about you. Tell me, what was young Karen like and when did you get your first inkling that you might end up
1: in the boardroom? Interesting question. Um, I think my earliest primary school teachers would probably tell you I was a bit bossy. <laughs> I think I was one of those little girls. I would like to say I was confident as a, as a, a youngster, but as so often happens to, to women, somehow lost that confidence through my teens and probably always had a fascination, and a, I was drawn to leadership in all its different guises. But lacking that confidence, I, I really didn't put myself forward until much later. In terms of being drawn to boards, my first board was actually a not-for-profit organisation that I had previously worked for. I was so interested in what they were doing, and so um, it was hard. It was really hard work. It was it was a family and uh, community services organisation. And I didn't really want that experience to end. And even though I was no longer working there and my career had gone off in a divergent path, I still felt a strong loyalty to that organisation. And they were looking for somebody, as so often happens in regional areas, shortage of, of potential board directors or people who are interested in being board directors. So their chair at the time spoke to me and said, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, hell yeah. I've got no idea what to do. Does that matter? <laughs> so, They uh, luckily they they did have enough confidence in me to give me a try and I was pretty hooked from the get-go really.
0: Mm, Interesting. There's two things in there I want to pick up on. You had the confidence to say, hell yeah, even though you weren't quite sure what you were doing. You know, so confidence maybe shows up in different ways even though we don't feel it. Absolutely true. And the second thing is it's interesting, you you know, you're hooked from the start. So I'd love to hear your reflections about that confidence, and I'd love to hear what hooked you in.
1: What was it about? Excellent questions. So, in terms of the confidence question, I think the chair who approached me, um, Anna, who has since passed away, unfortunately, but I think the fact that she felt I could do it, I'm quite sure she wouldn't have asked if she hadn't felt that I, I had the requisite skills to do it. And I respected her so deeply that I think also part of me didn't want to let her down, but because she came forward and said, I think you could do this, I thought, well, if you think I can, then I will. I'll have a crack at that one. Yeah, and the second part of your question about being hooked from the start, I am definitely not a details person. So I had found that you could actually think in these big, huge concepts, and it was a good thing because previously that had not been a good thing in my career. It was it was uh, as a doer, you've got to have that interest in detail, which I never really have. I love big ideas. I'm not great on the delivery. <laughs> I'm much better at engaging with the ideas and planning for them. And I think that's what really sparked my imagination and my fascination with boards. Oh, well,
0: see, now I've got a third follow-up, uh, which kind of relates as well. But It's just occurred to me as you were responding to those questions, I went, oh, my gosh, yeah, you're interviewing a journalist. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, so a little bit of imposter syndrome just leaped on this side as well. But in thinking about it, journalism is all about asking good questions. And board directors are all about asking good questions. So I'm wondering what lessons you got from journalism as well that helped you in the boardroom.
1: Yes, that's a really great link, and it's true. And journalists are intrinsically nosy. I think so. They they want to find out about people as much as things, and I think the fact that I'm interested in in finding out about people has really put me in good stead as a director and a member of a board team, but I'm also interested in finding out about stuff and how things work and, and what's the plan and how do we do this. So that absolutely is true. I hadn't actually drawn that parallel myself, so well done on that one. But I think, yeah, if, if you're a naturally curious person, that's a great attribute to have as a board director. I know a number of journos, who have ended up in the boardroom and I think that asking questions, it's great. Mm. And you see a lot of journals go into politics, I think, for the same reason. Yes. Yes. Feel yeah. the independence
0: in the uh, that got up in the last election definitely were through that as well. Okay. Well, look. True. I would love to get onto our topic for today, boardroom power plays and how women can step into their authentic power. I'm wondering in as much detail as you might be able to share whether you can share with us your experience of any boardroom power plays that might have happened while you've been in the boardroom and, and what you might have learned
1: from that. Yes, so, so many, so many examples. Uh, and I will talk a little bit about gender in this discussion. So it probably comes with a big disclaimer that not everybody, you know, not all women respond in a certain way, not all men. And, of course, it's not just about men and women. But So I am generalising and I hope that everybody will uh, understand that part of it. But, yes, power plays I have found have been very much associated with gender in my experience and it seems to me that most of the boards I've been involved with tend to attract older men. And that may be a reflection of where I live. I live in a, in regional Victoria. And, you know, the kind of people who've got time to be directors tend to be retired. And it's often men because they're used to being in positions of authority and power. And into those boardrooms comes me, who is obviously a woman, but also the kind of woman who people have described in the past as being too nice, whatever that means. Nice girls always finish last. You know, you'll know, you never get anywhere because you're too nice. People will eat you for breakfast. So coming from that background, it was always going to be some gender power plays because I had to navigate a world that was foreign to me. I was, I hadn't, as a journo, it's, you know, everyone's kind of in the mix and pretty, this pretty flat. It's, there are obviously bosses and leaders, but we are all in there together, just doing our thing. And in the boardroom, I came across people who were quite used to being in charge. So mm-hmm. it was an interesting dynamic. And what I quickly found was that I needed to navigate that to be able to form alliances because you can't expect to sort of crash your way through or just Talk your way through anything, you really can't fight your way through things. You've got to be able to form alliances with people you might not normally associate with, or become friends with, or connect with. So, some of the early power plays I saw were people not hearing me, not asking for my opinion, and perhaps because I was new as well. I also encountered people, uh, and I've, I've heard lots of women talk about this, actually not agreeing with my ideas, but then agreeing with the man next to me who actually had exactly the same idea a little bit later on. So I saw that happen a lot. And women being discounted, and I've seen it with other women as well, being discounted because they might be young or because they might be a woman. And one specific example, and I'll uh, not use too many uh, identifying features here, but a board chair that I used to work with was, we were talking about succession and one of the younger women had put her hand up to be chair. And his comment was, she's just not ready. You know, it was sort of patting her on the head, you know, maybe in a few years time, What I saw was a strong, enthusiastic young woman with a lot of value. I think what he saw was something entirely different and I couldn't quite understand. And and he actually successfully talked her out of it because she didn't have the confidence to, to sort of stand up to that. So And he couldn't give any justification as to why he thought she wasn't ready for it. There are just countless times. There are times when um, male directors have asked if I would make a cup of tea for them, (laughs) which is appalling that that would happen in this century, but it really has. Goodness. So this is why I'm so interested in this topic, I think, Hélio, because it has been such a constant Mm. feature of my career in directorship. One of the... Alleyways, I want to go down.
0: You said that one of the ways that you have worked around these power plays is to build alliances. I'm wondering, how have you done that? Again, in as much detail as you're able to share, if you are, can you tell us about a time (laughs) when you have kind of seen this power play and you've built an alliance to maybe get a different outcome to the power play?
1: Yeah, I think we tend to think sometimes we're above politics in the boardroom and it's kind of dirty. And I'm, you know, I've heard people say this, we're not a political board, we don't engage in politics. Human relationships are political, I think, whether we like it or not, we're political animals, if we're directors, particularly. So, you know, you can't really afford to stand on on high moral ground and say, look, I'm above all of this. So, Pretty early on, just seeing some of the old boys' network happening. For example, that happens a lot where, you know, it's men talk to one another differently, generally speaking. You know, they might talk about the footy or they might talk about golf in a really relaxed way and then turn to me and feel really suddenly feels very stilted because I don't play golf, don't follow footy. I get that that's bizarre for a Victorian, no matter what gender you are, but you know, it's not my thing. So those alliances didn't come so readily and so easily as, as they may have for other people. So how I have navigated that is to really ask them questions and get to know them and find out about them. People feel, apart from the fact that it's interesting to me to find out about them, people do feel flattered when you give them your attention and you you ask them questions. Tell me what you you're loving about this. And Or what are you not enjoying about this particular issue? Or where do you see that going? And being prepared to hear the answers. So it's not just asking for the sake of looking like you're doing the right thing. So in the process of forming those alliances, I have been able to open my mind because I've been hearing different perspectives that I may not have heard before, which have sometimes swayed my thinking to a certain direction. It's a win-win in lots of ways, getting to know people on that personal level, because it helps you to become a better listener and a better director. And also, there is that other more political element of, if you are prepared to support me on this, maybe I can support you on that other issue that I've been struggling with, but I see your point. So it's a bit of quid pro quo, as they say. That's kind of the reality of, of getting things done. So you're just not constantly butting heads. There's a lot of compromise. It's a little bit like a marriage, isn't it, where you have to be willing to compromise with the other party from time to time in the hope that they're willing to compromise for you sometimes. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, having those,
0: you know, again, inverted commas, robust conversations in the boardroom where people disagree, that's valuable. Oh, completely. So much more valuable than everybody walking in and just agreeing with each other. Because then you're not really pulling apart issues and testing them and so on. So it's a, it's a really valuable thing as long as, as you're saying, you can work through and
1: get to some sort of outcome as well. That's right, because you don't want to end up with a stalemate where nobody, you can't move forward. But I think some of the best outcomes have been when there has been divergent views because you're forced to look at things from different angles and, and see things you may not have otherwise seen. You've
0: been the chair of a number of organisations and you're now the mayor of Moyne, which, as I say in my head, is basically the chair of Moyne. I'm wondering in that role as the chair of a board, the chair of the council, I'm guessing you observe power plays sometimes from the chair's role and the role of the chair is slightly different to, you know, colleague to colleague. What's your approach when you're observing power plays from the the chair position?
1: You are so right and I think I've noticed it absolutely far more keenly from the chair than I did in a, the seat of a director because, as you know, the chair's job primarily is traffic direction. So you're really attuned to watching people and watching their body language and what's not said in the room as much as what is said. So I have really been able to observe that. And what I've loved about the privilege of being chair, because it is a privilege, is that I get to intervene in a sense. So if I see that a director is being spoken over or ignored, that's my cue to then invite that particular director to speak and to make sure that they are heard. So I feel really privileged to be a chair for that reason, because I get to um, uh, I guess intervene in some of those power plays and level the score a little bit, make it a bit more of an even playing field. I was going
0: to say i'm guessing, I'm wondering, I'm guessing or I'm wondering. When you do intervene to level
1: the playing field, do you ever get any pushback as the chair? Well oh, frequently absolutely and that's <laughs> that's fine too that that's part of it. There will be directors who who think. You know, they have a right to assert themselves because of some kind of superiority that they perceive, whether it's through experience or whatever it might be. So you will often get people who attempt to assert themselves not only over each other, but over the chair sometimes. So that's even been interesting as a female in the chair role to consider that because those gender power play moves don't stop when you're the chair. They they really don't. As I say, I'm really hyper vigilant because I have experienced so much of it. So, and I speak about it openly as well with uh, my fellow colleagues to try and make it part of our culture that we're at least aware of it. So I can't change anybody else. And it's not my business to try and change anybody else. But I can perhaps help them to be aware of the consequences of what they say and do. You're role modelling a different form
0: of leadership, both in the boardroom generally and from the position of chair. It's so interesting that I hear, you know, at school you were, in inverted commas, too bossy, Uh, (laughs) later on too nice. And now it sounds like you're walking the line beautifully in terms of assertiveness and compassion
1: in that role? Thank you, Helya. (laughs) I think women are often told they're too much of something and there are probably lots of women who can relate to this. Too nice, too bossy, too out there, too loud, whatever it might be. And I don't see those same things being leveled at a lot of men. But I think what I have learned It's one of the beautiful things about getting older. So it's, I'm now in my mid fifties and it's, it's a really nice time because I actually don't care what people think. And I used to, I really used to, but now I get to be me. If there was one thing I could say to younger me, it would be stop worrying what people think, just be who you are and be that and own that fully. And that's accusation that I had for so long, you're just too nice and you'll never get anywhere. I now use that. That's my brand, essentially. It's And kindness is a really important value to me. And I absolutely love that I'm kind and, and I don't want to be anything other than that. So now I use that to my advantage where I can as, as a leader to try and model that more empathic, leadership style that happily the world is now embracing in a way it didn't when I was growing up in the 80s. It's about being true to who you are and using that as your strength and owning that as your strength and not trying to be anything other than who you are.
0: Interesting.
1: You're the mayor of Moyne, you know,
0: you're the chair of the board in Moyne. How does kindness show up for you and the
1: council in that council chamber? In listening, in being considerate of not only the views of my fellow counsellors in this case but also the views of the ratepayers and residents, there are lots of different views and it's about hearing them and being willing to, to try and get the best possible outcome for them. So I think that's primarily for me and also in terms of the relationship I have with my fellow councillors we're all very different. I feel quite different to most of them. And again, that's fine. I appreciate and value them for who they are. And I don't wish that they would be anything else. Well, maybe sometimes I do in the back of my mind, (laughs) but generally speaking, I just respect who they are and what they bring. Every one of them brings something different. It's nice to try and in a way, hear all of their views and genuinely listen to them because they often change my mind. And that's not because I I see myself as weak. It's just because I've heard them and I've wanted to get the best possible outcome for our community. And I don't always know what that is, what is best. So it's, it's hearing what other people think. It is so often the case, uh, you know, all of those counsellors
0: presumably are there because they want the best outcome for the community. Sure, yeah. You know, people don't give up their time and effort and so on to be counsellors. Well, they don't always do it for other reasons. They do sometimes do it for other reasons. <laughs> well, that's, but um that's true. Uh, back to the power play, sometimes it is a power play. <laughs> for some it is, yeah. But mostly it is about wanting to get the best for the community and sometimes people look at that from different angles. And I think if you've got a group that is led in a way where you can respectfully talk through those differences, robustly and respectfully, you will get better outcomes for everybody in the end, as long as everybody
1: moves. That's right. And part of that equation is trust. I've always been the kind of person who trusts a person until they give me reason other to not trust them instead of starting from a position of no trust and insisting that, you know, you've got to earn my trust. I'm I'm quite the opposite. And there is a vulnerability about that, but it helps you to build understanding much more quickly. It builds mutual respect much more quickly. And you don't have that suspicion and, and cynicism that can sometimes come when there is no trust. So that's been an important thing for me also. Trust and kindness in the boardroom. It sounds like the sort of board many of us want to be part of. Yeah, absolutely. And there should be more trust and kindness in the world. And it's sad that it's perceived. Those sorts of things are often perceived as weakness, because they're an absolute strength in in my book. And just because you are kind or trusting certainly doesn't mean that you can be walked all over because then of course you get emotional intelligence coming into play which helps is a great armor in a sense because if you're an emotionally intelligent person you can generally read other people pretty well so and that's what I think why I'm such a huge supporter of women on boards I think we bring a lot of that that trust and that empathy and high EQ to the mix. Absolutely. And I
0: think boardrooms that have a high EQ are the ones that can have those respectful, robust conversations that hear all voices and come to those best decisions at the end that aren't always the decision that any individual director walked into the room with, but it's one that, it, that comes from that pulling apart and putting back together of an issue or a problem or a challenge and coming up with the best
1: answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something that is is best done in as a team. So, it's Yes. Yeah. Karen, these conversations go way too
0: quickly. <laughs> we've touched on all sorts of different angles and ways of looking at boardroom power plays and some excellent advice about how to deal with them. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today?
1: I think it's be you. Be authentic. Be who you are unapologetically and lean into who you naturally are and perhaps even a step before that is to get to know yourself that's it's a prerequisite i think for any leader is to have that time of self-reflection and that doesn't stop by the way i think that continues because we evolve and change all the time but really take the time to get to know who you are what drives you what motivates you what your character is, your core strengths, and then use those, lean into them wholeheartedly and fully, knowing that you'll never be the full picture. You'll always only ever be part of the picture in a boardroom. And that's the beauty because all of those other people around you, the colleagues, together, you're making the bigger picture together.
0: Fabulous advice. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community?
1: Yeah, one of the books that an early mentor of mine gave me, Ruth McGowan, who is very well known to anyone in local government and uh, and, and boards around Victoria, and a, a former guest on the Take On Board podcast, she is fabulous. Perfect. So Ruth, uh, Ruth has been a great mentor to me, and she sent me the book by Alicia McKay called "You Don't Need an MBA," and great sort of messages around the fact that we all have innate qualities and we all have life experience and we all have intelligence to bring we may not all have the mba or the or the qualification doesn't mean we're not ready and if i sort of loop back to where we began with my first board when i definitely didn't feel that i was ready i didn't have the mba didn't have the governance training didn't even know what governance was to be honest I've learned since, but I still had some value to deliver and I developed other skills along the way. So I think that's a great resource for any aspirant, any leadership aspirant, but especially anyone who is interested in directorship. Oh, that is fantastic. We'll make
0: sure we put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, Karen, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights uh, with the Take On Board community today. I know
1: people listening will take a lot from it and learn from it. So thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you, Haley. It was my absolute pleasure and honour. Thank you.
0: So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women and gender-diverse people together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board on Facebook to find us. I'd also really love it if you could do some of the other, well, podcast things. Share the podcast with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And well... I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.